1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, as we just sang, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. I'm going to skip down at the very end, verse 13. And now, these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You know, there's a common baseline we have with those who follow Christ and those who don't. Is that that without love, you have nothing. The love of Christ as a believer is, is the true love, but, but those that don't know Christ, that's what they're missing, that's what they're seeking, and that's what causes the, the empty feeling we have. And so my challenge to us is this, that we don't just sing words to songs. We don't just come just to, to participate in a service, but... We can do all these things that we do for news, that new song. We do outreach as a community. We can do all that. But if we don't do it with love. See, often we, often we, um, we take our stand and we do it without love and, and the whole world just shuts us out. It says, I, I think Christians are haters. I think they're bigots. I think they're whatever. And we, we stand in amazement. Like, how could they think that? But yet our approach is without love. So I'm going to switch gears now. I want to, a couple of things before I get into that's not the main text today. I just want to wrap up worse with that. But um, just a couple of things. One is tomorrow evening, adding on to the announcements, we're having a meeting that has to do with anybody that wants to participate in the framing of the new church building because we'll be doing that the first week of uh, September. And we need to get organized with those who are experienced, maybe do it for a trade, those who have some experience and those who have none. Um, and we'll get uh, very strategic about how we approach our uh, framing. We need to make up some lost time during framing. So tomorrow night here at the church, 6.30 to 7.30. It may go to 8, but probably about an hour. So uh, if you can be here and you plan to be a part of uh, the framing of the building, be here for that. Also, keep in prayer. we got a lot to get done this week and not enough time to do it. Uh, there's more uh, to get done than it seems in the natural to be able to do it. So keep praying. Uh, we have meals being prepared for the Benton County inmates that will be helping us. Um, I don't even like saying that. You know, uh, these guys worked harder than well-paid uh, individuals out there. They worked. You know, here's the thing. Is some of those guys admitted to me, I don't, I don't really know the Lord. They, they displayed working those into the Lord better than sometimes we as believers do. They worked hard. And so um, we're providing meals for those guys. I think we're going to give them a little treat on Tuesday and maybe do some ribs as they're leaving. Uh, send them with some good smoked ribs. So um, if you'd like to help with any portion, uh, see us. We're going to have more maps for people coming in this week. Um, some great folks. And the next week have another couple. The Eshes, they are awesome. Uh, I believe our Hispanic congregation, our Spanish-speaking congregation, their parent church 
Central Christiano and Rogers, I, I believe they will be providing some folks to help with framing. So keep in prayer, a lot going on. Well, <clears throat> did I forget anything, Jen, from first service? By the time I get to second service, sometimes I'll leave some things off that I cover. Um, yes, men, yesterday, because if I don't text you guys and let you remind you of men's Bible study, some of you have valid reasons you couldn't be there. Some, you just if I don't text you on Friday, you'll forget by Saturday morning. And i finding less and less time to do that. It's literally half a day by the time I text all the men in the church and the responses back and forth. And I can't do that right now during the building project. So I need your help, men. If you can put it on your phone calendar to pop up a reminder and then tell a few people. Um, yesterday we had about three guys. That's great. We still had a great study. But the last time we had, you know, we'll have like 20 if we send reminders. We'll have 30 if we send reminders. Uh, or, or we'll have three if we don't. So <laughs> help me out with that. All right, well, I want to get into a series that we're going to do today. And I'm going to change it up, guys, in the sound booth a little bit during first service. Um, I want us to actually show the videos now. Tarsus? Okay. To Tarsus. Okay. And then he got on board. He got on board? Yeah. Got on board what? The ship. Okay, and then what? And then he ran away from God. Okay. Why did he do that? Because he was hiding from God. And then what happened? And then So that's my twin boys, Colton and Caleb, uh, and they're a few years old. And, 
and they could really tell uh, Bible stories. They had a little venture Bible, and as they got a little older where they could read, they read it uh, multiple times one year. I, don't, I can't remember, they used to tell us 2,600 pages. They read like three or four times in a year, and we'd catch them with a light on at night, and uh, when they're supposed to be sleeping, they'd be reading, and how does a dad that's a pastor get onto your kids, right? Well, actually, then I wasn't even pastor. I was working at Walmart home office. How do you, as a Christian father, get on your kids? Well, I went with the premise of you need to obey the authorities over you, and I'm telling you, if you want to read your Bible, you go to your room an hour early, and then you can read. And so um, today is a little different story, but just like those stories in Sunday school, um, we kind of, uh, a lot of people can remember those. You know, they're, they're not just stories, they're real accounts, um, but they're told uh, by children with such passion and, and such conviction. And boy, if my boys, if you challenge them on any of that, even to this day, but even then when they're little, and you said, I don't know if I believe that, big fish swallow man, they look at you like, are you, are you serious? You know, God talks about childlike faith. You know, the whole thing with Adam and Eve in that story um, that we don't really think about is when the devil lied to them and said that um, God said, they said God would told them that they'd die if they ate the fruit. So you won't surely die. Well, he was telling them a half truth, which was really a lie. They, they weren't going to die a natural death immediately when they ate it, like you're poisoned, but sin would enter, and then they would die a natural death, and then a lot of other stuff, working hard by the sweat of her brow and childbirth would be painful, and all these things that followed. And so that's how Satan works, but, um, you know, uh, it's just, uh, if you said something to the boys, they just couldn't understand why you would not believe God. And uh, I believe that's why the Lord really talks about how precious the children are in a childlike faith. We make it so complicated. Like it's really rocket science. And then when, when things are falling apart from us, when our, our family is falling apart, or, or we've got an addiction, or we've got something, then all of a sudden we, we separate that issue from, from the spiritual issue and, and, and don't equate that to the fact that without God, our lives fall apart. Without God, when sin enters, just like in the garden, it's a theme through the whole Bible. You know, and it's been happening for thousands of years that man, as they have problems in their lives, their, their countries fall apart, they go into captivity, their lives fall apart, and their cultures fall apart, and, and, and things go wrong, they still don't want to accept the fact that that one resounding truth that's been written and inspired so many years ago resounds as true as when sin enters, it separates us from God, it, it causes a divide, and, and our lives fall apart, they begin to fall apart, not because God is mean God trying to make bad things happen to you, it's the dynamic of what happens when you come out from under his protection. The story I want to the account I want to talk about today, if you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Daniel. Book of Daniel. And really, today's going to be an overview because we're going to start a series on Daniel. And so, I don't want to disappoint you. I had a couple of people after first service say, all of a sudden you're done, and we're like, where's the rest? Because it was um, an introduction. But I want to read to you in the same style as what my boys told you the stories a little bit. I'm not going to read to you directly, but we're going to talk about in, in uh, the book of Daniel, after you go through a few chapters, you get to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, here's, here's a brief overview before we get into the major overview. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, godly men who are in the kingdom of Israel, in Jerusalem, Jerusalem gets take, taken captive, Nebuchadnezzar, he takes the best of royalty and young men who are unblemished, and he puts them in the king's service. And the king shares his choice foods 
with these men, with, a, with these young boys, in the effort to grow them up to be superior, you know, fighting men, serving men. And uh, Daniel decides not to defile himself with the king's meat and says, I'm going to eat salads for a while in dedication to God. Yeah, he's going to eat vegetables, the Daniel fast. And so he, he does that. And they are found better than all the others. But then the trouble starts because they're elevated, right? They're elevated in responsibility. Sometimes God will put you in a place of authority, not for you to be able to, to rule and reign, but for you to face head on the sin that's enslaving people. And so that's what happens with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego over and over again in the first six chapters. As you think that the kings, because there's several different kings in the story, there's a son of a king that messes up, there's uh, another guy who... When, one king di- when the king dies, the son takes over, there's another guy who uh, kills the other king. and So we go through several changes of leadership and all the same thing. They can't seem to get it straight that there's one true God who is powerful. And that's what separates these men. That's what makes them different. When you are in the world, as I ran from God, even growing up with uh, being taught the scripture, being taught the word of God, I ran from God and I got in a really bad environment and I was living like the devil. And, and I still, I knew the truth. But I couldn't be set free by the truth because I didn't accept the truth. You see, I didn't accept it enough to experience the truth. Um, someone who is an atheist, their, their problem is never ending with this argument with God because they're trying to argue it from an intellectual standpoint, from a factual, what they believe is factual standpoint. They have to be willing to what? If you have not love, what? Nothing. Here's the thing. You have to be willing to experience God's love. And they can't go that far because they can't get past the point that they don't see him, feel him, or touch him. They can't find proof of him. So they won't open their hearts up for him to actually show his love. So this story, where we find ourselves is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego after this. And several, there's some dream interpretation. And, uh, you know, God shows himself. But, but then this king, Nebuchadnezzar, builds this big, huge golden statue for people to worship, and he commands everyone that they have to bow to the statue, and if not, you'll be thrown into a furnace. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego defy God, this is what happens. Listen. This story is about a king and three brave men with all, that all really struggle, or they all have really strange names uh, through, and have a struggle. The king's name is Nebuchadnezzar, and the three men were known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They lived in a place called Babylon. Now let me stop a little bit there because... Their real names were names from, their Hebrew names were real names that were referencing to God's names or God's power or his provision uh, for his protection. And so was David, King uh, David's name. But when they were taken captive in defiance to their God, they were given new names. So these is what the, they're being called. So they lived in a place called Babylon, and the three men worked for the king that had, and had important jobs for the province of Babylon. One day, the king decided to build a huge image made of gold that stood 90 feet high. To understand how tall that is, imagine 15 men all standing one on top of the other to make a tall tower. It was sure big. King Nebuchadnezzar made an announcement. People of all languages, when you hear the music, you must bow down and worship the statue because I've said so. Whoever does not obey and worship the statue will immediately be thrown into a fiery furnace. As the story goes on, that they get thrown in the fiery furnace. Well, the king gets so upset that these guys say, not only, king, if our, our God will save us from your hand, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to worship your false gods, your false god. And so he gets so mad, he has them turn the fire, fiery furnace up seven times hot, and the big strong men, it says, that bound them and went to throw them up, they get killed just getting close to the fire. 
because it was seven times hotter. Then the king looks in and he sees these three guys walking around. No, he doesn't see three guys. He sees four guys walking around. And he says a fourth looks like the son of the gods. He, he didn't know Christ personally, but we believe that's Jesus walking around. And they're unharmed. They come out not smelling like smoke, not having any indication of that. And so, you know, he decrees that this is the true God. But it doesn't stop there. Here, here's the thing. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. How many of you like ice cream? Like ice cream? Okay, let me ask you something. You know what a clown cone is? Clown cone? Anybody grow up around a Baskin Robbins, 31 flavors? The clown cone? You remember a clown cone? No? Oh, come on. That was the flagship of, of the ice cream cones. For When you walked in, what they'd done is they'd taken a really good different flavors of ice cream, usually just vanilla, but it was good, vanilla bean, and they took a sugar cone and stuck it on top. And then they took icing, like cake icing, and drew a clown face on it and decorated the hat like a clown, clown cone. But that didn't cost the same as a regular cone. And as a poor preacher's kid, right, we go in and, Mom, Dad, I want a clown cone this time. No, I'm sorry, son. You need to just, there's four kids. You get a regular cone. And I get so upset because I wasn't getting my clown cone. I couldn't focus on the fact that my parents had taken time to take me for ice cream, which was not a main staple of food. It was a treat. But I'm not thinking it's a treat because now I've come where they have clown cones and I can't have the flagship cone, the clown cone. Baskin Robbins is famous for how many flavors? 31 flavors, right? Now, my parents didn't go in there and say, son, you can only have vanilla. You can't have chocolate chip cone. You can't have cookie dough cone. I don't think they had it back then, but whatever. You can't have the gumball ice cream, the peppermint ice cream. You can't have it. We're all getting vanilla ice cream. They didn't say that. They just said the clown cone is three times more expensive. You can't have that. And I get so mad, I get so angry. You know, because I'm like, I want the clown cone. And you know, here, here's the thing. They weren't demanding uniformity. They weren't demanding that we all got the same flavor. They were just demanding unity as a family that we all came in understanding our situation and being diligent with what God's given us, being good stewards and, and not feeling like we were entitled to something greater. And, you know, here's, here's the thing. You know, we're in, we're in a place and time in church culture, if you will, that um, for me to say that I'm not impacted by what another church does or by what a, a popular church culture book says or whatever is like you trying to say that you can watch 12 hours a day of cable TV with commercials and you're not influenced at all by the commercials. You know, when we get saturated in something long enough, it impacts us. Milk chocolate candy that melts in your... I'd like to buy the world a... Right? You don't know that one? I'd like to buy the world... I'd like to buy the world a Coke. Danny, you're older than me. Okay. Well. <laughs> All right. Right. Um, have it. See, I said two words. Have it, and you said your way. We are influenced by that. And so in the same sense, we are often influenced by our church culture, whether it's really what God meant the church to be or not. We probably don't have a clue at this point because we've all been susceptible to that. Unless we're truly seeking God, unless we're truly seeking God in everything we do, and we're willing to not de demand uniformity, but to demand unity. In other words, I need to be okay with coming into church and not feeling like because I don't get my clown cone, then I'm going to go home. I'm not playing well with others. I'm going home. Or I'm going to keep going to churches until I find the one that will give me my clown cone or at least give me my favorite flavor. That I, I can't be in unity with anybody that's not going to give me my clown cone or give me my style of worship or, or do it like that uh, 
TV church that has millions of dollars, and if we don't have all the bells and whistles, then I, I got to find a place like that because that's more entertaining. I got to have my clown cone. And what we find in Scripture, like in this story, is that the whole thing should be around are we interacting, are we having the power of God interact in our life? Are we uh, putting ourselves in situations where God proves himself out over and over again? And, and let me ask you something. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't say, well, God, you didn't put us in a Christian nation, so I, I'm really angry and I'm not going to show love because I didn't get put in a Christian nation. I don't have a Christian leader, so I don't want to play well with others. I'm not in, I'm not in uh, you know, God, you didn't put my flavor of church, you didn't put my flavor of this, and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are taken into captivity, and they keep getting confronted with having to make a choice. Do you stand in the midst of adversity and stand for God's ways, or do you bow? And often when we say that, we're thinking of, oh, I'm challenged on whether I believe in Jesus or not, and I stand. In fact, I tell them, you're an idiot for not believing in Jesus. You're an idiot and you're dying in your sins because you don't believe in Jesus. And I'm taking my stand. No, actually what I'm referring to is back to that whole thing. If we don't have love, we're nothing. Jesus' way is to show the love of Christ to people. The gospel is to go and show what's first, what's remaining, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. These guys didn't say, put up your dukes, Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to show you how tough Jesus is. They didn't say, you're an idiot, King Nebuchadnezzar. They didn't slander him. They didn't, they didn't fire back with insults. They didn't do anything other than say, God will deliver us from your hand. And if, even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow. We have to be willing to give up our flavor of how we serve God to really find out what it's really like to serve him in the supernatural. You have to be willing to give up your, your favorite flavor or your clown cone of worship or church experience or whatever it is to really find out what it is to have the power of God interact with you. You, you can't be partially plugged into His plan. You can't be partially there. You've got to be all in. You've got to be willing to go even under your death for what you know for a fact God has called you to do. There's a representative of a gas company that called to follow up with a guy who had asked him about coming to light their pilot light and adjust their furnace. And he said, that's okay, but um, you need to schedule it when I can be there and not my wife, me. And he said, sir, our guys are trained enough. They'll know, you know, they can find the furnace. They know how to op operate everything. You don't have to be there. No, you don't understand. I have to be there. It's a different situation. I have to be there. And the guy, the, the guy pressed said, no, really, you don't understand. These guys do this all the time. They're fine. He said, no, you don't understand. You see, the thermostat in the hallway is a dummy thermostat. It doesn't operate anything. That's just for my wife to play with, thinking she's changing the temperature. The real one's hidden. I'm the only one that knows where that's at. The guys are laughing harder than the women. I wonder what that is. There's a couple of things that go that, that we really fight against um, when it comes to our 31 flavors. It's, I need control. And I want uniformity in my life. See, the world is demanding of us uniformity. They're screaming unity. What they mean is uniformity. Uniformity of chaos. Everybody needs to leave everybody alone and let them do what's right in their own eyes so we can all be happy. But it produces chaos. Because, uh, Brother Bill, if I don't believe that murdering people is wrong, and you do, but you're letting me, you know, you're being uh, what they think is unity, 
it's chaos, right? Because then you've got to worry about protecting yourself against me because I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Because maybe I believe in evolution. It's just by chance we're here, so it doesn't matter. There's no real morals. You know, the, that's the thing is they scream in unity, but they mean uniformity. We want everyone to believe like I, we do, which is really believe in whatever you want to believe in. And everybody has to be the same, and we demand it of you, or we will persecute you into being that way. Not unity. See, we have the same problem in church. We, um, if, if, you don't, if you believe in the speaking in tongues and someone else doesn't believe in the speaking in tongues, then I can't worship there because that's not my flavor. Not unity. Well, it's in God's Word, and I don't really have all the answers, but I know it's there, and maybe I believe that it stopped at a certain point, um, and I'm trying to prove that, and someone else trying to prove this. Maybe it's eternal salvation, eternal insecurity, or well, internal security, or whatever, whatever side of the fence. You could just go down the list of the different denominational things. Would God, do you think, be really uh, super excited that we live in such an area packed with all these churches, yet we don't know those people's names? Half the time we don't know the people's names across the aisle from the church we go in. There's not, and there's not unity. Because we're, we're doing what the world wants. We're trying to seek uniformity. We think we're seeking uni uniformity. Everybody should have a clown cone because I want a clown cone. And if I get a clown cone, I don't really care if everybody else has one. They should just be able to have the choice to have one. Because that's what I want. So all my morals and all my major life things I hang my hat on all have to do with my desire to fill my own needs. And so I demand uniformity because nobody can tell me not to have my clown cone if I've already said it's okay for everybody to have a clown cone if they want it. You guys are going to go home thinking, man, I don't really know what we talked about. I think we talked about ice cream. So we better switch this around here pretty quick. The man who hid the control for the thermostat from, the thermostat from his wife, the real control, it's control. I, I, I want everything my way, and even if I have to do it through deception, but it's got to be uniform to my wants and desires, even if I have to remove the choice for someone else and fool them into thinking they have the choice. And that's really what the world is demanding right now. We want to fool you into thinking that you're, we're getting choice because we're fighting for everybody's right to choose. What we're really doing is we're just hiding the control from you. We're hiding the control, letting you play with things, thinking you got the, you know, Planned Parenthood. It's all about choice. And, and we're letting you play with the controls, making you think that you actually are doing something when we're demanding uniformity that life doesn't matter and we can just murder innocent babies. Control and demand of uniformity. And what happened with Nebuchadnezzar is he came to a point where he said, you know what, it's whatever my desires are and I will one way or another force uniformity on all people. But what he didn't realize is he was fighting against a God who said, love wins and unity in the body of Christ. And they tried to force, he tried to force the hand, uniformity with God's people and it didn't work out so well for him. Because even unto death God will defend his people. We're not given much detail. Many scholars believe that this was not a, a freestanding statue, that this was probably carved out of, not that it matters greatly in the whole scheme of the story, but it's probably carved out of a, a rock face, but it was overlaid with gold, and um, that was kind of what they did to pay homage to the gods or the idol that they were worshiping. Uh, the text simply says it was an image of gold. It could have been made of another metal uh, or rock or covered with sheets of hammered gold. But also there's an ancient historian named Diodorus Sicilus who made mention of a statue of gold in the temple of Balus, which Xerxes demolished. And it was 40 feet high, his. This one's 
referenced and other uh, people believe it was more 90 feet like we read in the story. And it contained 1,000 talents of gold, which is about 67,000 pounds or 33.5 tons of gold. And that's, that's an amazing amount of gold. But it's what people did back then. Using gold uh, in this fashion was com a common activity because they were honoring their gods. So our story is based on actual behavior of societies of, of the day. But this not only is a true story, it's a story with a twist. This statue was an idol erected to glorify a pagan god. And idols in Babylon to honor their gods were probably a dime a dozen. So here, here's what happened is culturally, little by little, it's like, you have enough idols, what's one more big idol? It's how they control the nation, that if they introduced idolatry and got people used to just whatever God works for us at the time, then the king literally could become a god because it's just one more god. And he's actually the one we can see, he's actually the one with the control anyway. And that's how they would demand uniformity, they'd slip it in there. And this happens not only in the non-believer's life where the enemy keeps slipping in things to just get them desensitized. You know, back in the uh, 60s and 70s, if TV stopped bleeping out, you know, uh, HE double hockey sticks, eventually that was just the same as anything else, right? And, and I can't find in the Bible where it says to say that because you say hell in the Bible, but it's just the way it's used, right? And, and so we, we have all these things that we worry about saying, and then eventually, and then the church are saying, well, you know, we really don't find the Bible, so I don't know. But... We know people are speaking flippantly and negatively, and we know in our spirit doesn't feel right, but eventually we just say, well, um, what about OMG? Let's kind of pick on some little red herrings here. But OMG, what are you really saying? Oh my God. And if I said that right now, you'd see the hair on my kids' head stand up because we've taught them that you're using God's name flippantly. Now, is God's name really not God? No, we're not on that study. It's not really God. That's English translation of the Bible, so... It's not, but it's referencing the name we use for God, so that gives it the same significance. And OMG, oh my God. Am I really praying? Am I really giving any glory to Him? Am I really giving any recognition to Him? Or am I just making His name something to be tossed around easily? You, you see, those little things do matter because they're the little idols in our life that we say, it really doesn't matter. We've, we've got a, a body that's unified saying, we really shouldn't, brothers and sisters, talk that way. But we don't see that as unity. We see them infringing on what we think is unity. Really what we're demanding is uniformity. Everybody needs to just let me do what I want. And if everybody does the same thing, then I get what I want. And so we'll do that with that. And then all of a sudden the shows that people watch. You know, we watch them enough and it's, oh, there's a little bit of sexual content there. That's not doing anything to me. I'm a married man. I can watch, I can watch that stuff. I'm married now. But it opens the door, and next thing you know, we're watching more of that. And first time you and your wife start having a disagreement where you don't like each other for a week, guess, guess where your mind starts to go? You know, you, you start using things as a crutch to, to not go at God's way and just go to the person and work it out. You, you've got these uh, different flavors of ice cream you can appease yourself with. You can get that clown cone that you want. And so, so what's happened in Nebuchadnezzar's day is people are just getting desensitized to the fact that, that they're going and taking over this nation. They see this nation that they all worship one God and they're so devout and there's something different about them and they know there's something different but they're like, that makes me uncomfortable because they seem like they're really good people. They've got uh, really good standards but, but we don't like that. We're going to demand that everybody has a choice to worship whatever God so we've got to crush yours. 
later when we get into this, this is going to be a series we'll get into uh, when Daniel went in the lion's den. What happened is Daniel got favor as God kept using him with these kings. He kept getting raised in authority. And next thing you know, he's like third in command, right? And what happens is, is the, the idol-worshipping guys who are under, they're like governors of the states. And he was like in the U.S. government, if you will, like that. And they conspired to kill him. They conspired to kill him because they wanted everybody to be able to do what they want to do. So, so again, it comes back to whether it's 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, or yesterday, the problem that happens in culture is we think that we're trying to let everybody do their own thing, and hey, brother, that's great that you go to that church and you believe that way, but you know, I've got my own idea of God, and you know, I think everybody finds their way somehow, and you know, the big spaghetti monster in the sky somehow just uh, you know, works all out. Hey, you can believe in Muhammad and you can believe in that. It's really probably all the same God. Everybody's calling by a different name. And, 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 you know, these are all, if you go back historically, those are all age-old problems with, that God had with belief in God. Is People, when they d decided, I don't want to deal with hard things, I want to be able to do whatever I want to do, they demand uniformity. I don't, I don't think... I don't think we should have to believe in that. I, I want everybody to believe the way I do. They demand uniformity with them being the one with control. It's kind of like the powerful people of our day who say, you'll accept whatever everyone else feels is right for them, or you'll be a hater. You'll accept whatever that the nation is doing as, you know, um, I don't like to pick on one particular thing because uh, Christians have a habit of picking on homosexuality when they'll, they'll look over all the sexual immorality on TV and somehow pass over that, but they'll pick on the one sexual immorality that they really have a problem with. But, but since it's more publicized, I'll use that one. When we saw the White House lit up with the, the, the uh, rainbow colors representing the gay pride movement, and, and this is supposed to project to us that, hey, listen, now everybody gets treated fairly and has free, a free choice. That it can't just be the Christian's way. They're not really giving everybody a choice, are they? At that point, they're saying, this is the way you have to believe. We want uniformity. And in a degenerate mind that, that where the devil has taken over, we begin to flip things and look at them the opposite way, that this is the right way and you've got to come my way and ignore God's ways. Sexual immorality, abortion. No prayer zones like schools, government uh, offices, the public areas. Now, removing the Ten Commandments, removing the crosses, removing any indication of anything of God because we are demanding uniformity. Because if you don't, there'll be a price to be paid. You'll be thrown in the furnace or you'll lose your job or you'll lose your, your right to be in that culture or you don't belong with us anymore. Why don't you go to another country and you see those things on social media? Why don't you get out of here if you don't like it? Why don't you just leave if you don't like it? Do you think that they really believe that they're preaching unity? I don't know. It, in their minds, I think they do. What they're really demanding is uniformity. The rich and the powerful in our society tells us that if we don't bow down to their altar, they will destroy us. And so Christians, we're faced with whether we stand or we bow down. It's not worth the hassle. And a lot of people don't want to pay that kind of price for saying no. And everyone bows down. Now there's some people that might look at this story and say, why on earth would these boys risk everything for the sake 
of this silly idol. I mean, really what's harm done? They didn't have to in their heart worship. Now listen, this is where it gets really hard because you're faced with these same kind of decisions. What harm is it really if I don't acknowledge that I am a follower of Christ in a situation at work where they say you can't talk religion and someone's saying something against Christians or whatever and you don't stand up and say, but I serve that God, but I'm a believer. And, and you have to do it with love like we talked about, but at the same time, we're faced with these same decisions. Are we going to stand? Abraham, for example, we talk about him a lot, had been given the son he had been promised at 100 years old, finally gets him, but then he was asked to make a choice. God asked him to sacrifice his only son Isaac. David was just a young shepherd boy whose father had sent with food, with, sent him with food for his brothers who had been fighting the Philistines. And it was God's way of getting David in front of the Philistines because no one was standing against Goliath. And I believe God arranged for David to be there at that, just that time that Goliath insulted Israel and their God. How many times, Christians, are we placed in a, in a point where it's vital? we got a decision. God's name is being challenged. You know, you think about Elijah when the prophets of Baal and he builds the altar. And do you think God was oddly saying to him right then, it's like, okay, now put that stick there and put that. No, he knew that he had to throw down the gauntlet and say, my God will come through. The, the Hebrew children, when they went in the furnace, said, said, even if God does not save us from this natural death, we still won't bow down. I think they were speaking well beyond the natural. They're thinking, we've got eternity with our true God, with our King. It doesn't really matter what you do to us here or not, as long as we stay the course and we worship Him in spirit and truth and we stand firm in what we believe. It doesn't matter whether here or there, we will always worship Him. And David with Goliath, at that point, he had to make a choice. Does he, does he cower? Does he follow suit with the rest of the Christians? Standing there, the rest of God's people who are cowering because of Goliath, does he stand there and do what everybody else is doing, or does he step out? It's kind of um, the same line of where we're going to go with this series of I'm going to start challenging some of our church culture at New Song to make sure that we're always looking at what God truly intends this church to be. Ken and I visited a church last Wednesday night for the simple fact, the main reason is they have a sound system just like we're going to purchase for the new building. And it's a big commitment and money, and we want to make sure before we buy it that we, we heard it and we went to a service. And it's a different service than ours. But there is something that I think God used to get us there for that purpose. It could have been another church with a sound system, but all their kids, some people were gathered up during worship. And you could tell it was part of the culture, and the, and the kids were just dancing during worship and enjoying. And my daughter, Lily, loves to dance, and she came up one time to do that, and nobody else was. And I was afraid she'd learn to draw attention to herself, and, you know, for the wrong reasons. And so I stopped her, and I told Ken at service, I think, I think God just spoke to my heart, and, and he made me remember that, saying I was wrong. I was wrong for stopping her being free in her worship to do whatever God moved on her to do. And so we're going to start challenging some of our idols that we've set up. Some of the things that we're like, well, this is how it was done in, in church growing up, or this is my flavor of ice cream. No, 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 now you're trying to take away my clown cone. Now we're going to fight. A lot of church fights. I even have a series we'll do eventually. It's called Great Church Fights. But, but first we're going to attack, first to find out what is God intending for our culture at New Song. What was God intending for this situation? He allowed because of sin of the nation of Israel for them to be taken into captivity. And he used it all for his glory because during that same lesson he was teaching them, he used his faithful to teach the pagan nation a lesson. 
everybody gets some ice cream in this story. When you think about it, the very fact that they're there is a lesson to the Israelites because they kept going after idols and not doing God what God wanted him to do, and he had let them be in captivity. It even says early on that they were delivered into the hand of this evil, evil king. So these people are there. David, does it indicate that David, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego deserve to be in captivity? It doesn't. It, it doesn't. It, it shines them out as men who were faithful to God. And they got caught up in the mess because of the people. And sometimes we can be in a church and what we allow to happen is we allow many of the people to sit and do nothing and let their spiritual, uh, their spiritual lives slip away from God and it takes the church a negative direction. You've got a faithful few who end up paying the price, but God will still share ice cream with everybody. Some aren't going to like their flavor. And many aren't getting their clown cone. But at the end, God gets glorified. His whole, the whole of scriptures is all a story of him trying to bring us to right relationship with him. And he has to sometimes, like a good heavenly father, bring punishment. Sometimes he does it through just showing us love. Uh, telling us we're doing a good job, give us opportunities. But David, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, through the stories we'll go through in this series, they continually get put in bad situations and remain victorious, but they get put in bad situations when they're being faithful. And many of us as Christians, we think when we talk about not bowing down to idols, it means that we're just saying, well, when the world is pushing abortion, we stand against that. But often the worst problem is, is when God's trying to get us out of our seat to interact with Him and worship and truly give Him all we got, we'll go do our little favorite project the day before, wear our bodies out, come into service, and we'll sit there. And instead of standing to honor the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, we sit back and say, well, you just have to understand what my week is. Well, who are you talking to? Pastor, worship team member, or the God that we're here to worship? Because you don't owe me and Ken nothing. You don't owe us anything other than what the scripture says. We're here to build each other up and encourage each other. And if you're doing nothing to do that, then you're not being a part of the body of Christ because that's what we're here for. So when you come into the worship service, you may be making excuses thinking you're defying what the pastor would expect you to do or what the worship leader is expecting you to do. What you're really doing is you're demanding your flavor of ice cream and God's saying, don't make me give you the bitter kind. Don't make me give you, like you ever heard of these kids are getting these Jelly beans are flavored, nasty flavors like barf and all this stuff. God's saying, don't make me have to deliver up the, the, the teach you a lesson flavor. But he will because he loves you. What good father, what good heavenly father would not discipline his children? Would just let them do what they want. You ever known kids where their parents didn't discipline, don't discipline them? Well, and they are just holy terrors without the holy. They're just terrors. Come on. Come on, I'm going to let you out of here in five minutes. Can we give it all we got for five minutes? How many know some bratty kids? Come on, let's, woo! Yes, yeah. Down with the bratty kids and terrible parents. Okay, so now I got you, got your attention. Everybody's smiling a little bit. All right. Why would you celebrate, and I believe you did it with all your heart because we do get tired of parents that don't get a clue. Why would you celebrate? people finally hearing, hey, your kids are bratty. Because if somebody tells them, you're like, ooh, ooh, somebody. Thank goodness it wasn't me, but I'm glad somebody did. Celebrate that. But you, def you, you can't stand for God to not give you your flavor of ice cream. And you throw a kid fit like a spoiled kid. And I'll just go take my toys and I'll go to another church and I'll get somewhere else where finally they'll let me demand my uniformity. There is a heart of worship. There is a heart of unity that is needed in the body of Christ for us to really have an outbreak of the Holy Spirit. 
You don't just turn it on because you watch something on TV. And if we would just send someone over to go to the Billy Graham, uh, I, I like Billy Graham, uh, send somebody over to Billy Graham, and if they'll come back, then they'll bring, bring what he's got back here. No, they won't. No, they won't. They might get right, but you still have to be willing to go with unity, which means even with our differences, we come together for the purpose of worshiping God. You're just hoping that everybody will get the same idea of church that you want, that you like, your flavor. But a true outbreak of the Holy Spirit is when everybody comes together in unity for one purpose, and that's that God gets his flavor. That we're just happy that we got the treat and we got to get the ice cream. And that his presence is sweet enough as it is. You don't have to add to it. You don't have to change something about it. You don't have to get your way. That your way will be gotten because God is a good father and he gives his kids good gifts and you'll get exactly what you need for your life. And if you want mending in a family situation, if you want deliverance from an addiction, if you want those things, why is it not happening like it used to happen in church? You hear the older people say, man, we see people delivered of alcoholism and drug addiction. We just saw them out of the power of God fall out. Why not? Because we're demanding uniformity now more than unity in seeking Christ we're trying to do church our way instead of saying Holy Spirit are we doing what we're supposed to be doing is it supposed to be four songs and offering and a sermon and go home and then just not do anything with it until the next time what is it supposed to be see uh, Danny Nathan and I they challenged me because We've been talking, they've heard me say, our biggest problem in our church and others right now is we may see people saved and baptized and then they're gone because we're horrible at discipleship. And you have to ask yourself then, what's the right way of discipleship? Well, all kinds of church programs out there and books and you know, five ways to disciple all the people in Christ and this book and that book. And you can have all these smart ways to do it, but what did Jesus do? He went to these unlikely individuals and said, hey, follow me. I'm going to show you the way to live for God. Follow me. And he walked life with them, and he taught them as he walked with them. He spent time with them. He didn't give them uh, five little things to go home and fill out and come back, and we'll see you once a week. You know, uh, Francis Chan is a well-known uh, preacher, and he had a church grow to 5,000, and then he, God shook him up, and he did these house churches. Me and him differ on some things. He's, we differ on, on, on several things. But, but he still, he knows God's Word, and he has the Holy Spirit working in him, and he says, he says, you know, a gang member, a serious, serious gang member got saved and baptized in their church and he started coming and all of a sudden he knows he dropped out. And so he, he called him up and he said, what's going on, man? I haven't seen you in church. He goes, man, I don't know. When I came and I heard the word of God and you guys told me what this is about and I accepted it because, man, it just was awesome. as what I've been searching for in my life. But then I didn't realize what you guys actually mean is that you just come together a couple hours a week and then you really don't do anything together or do anything with it. He said, I had a better family in the gang. I mean, we, we did life together. I mean, we were at each other's homes. We were, we were really walking life together. We had a relationship, and there's just not relationship in your church. He was like, ouch. But that's what discipleship was. Jesus said, follow me. And he came along. And listen, I'm not against us going to door to door. We've been doing that. That's good. But we had like three or four people show up. Why is that? Because it's not a lot of people's flavor. Um, it... I could pick many things we do, but it's still going to require, are you willing to sacrifice your time, your desires, your flavor of ice cream? If you don't get your clown cone, will you still come do it for Jesus? If the kids that show up with green hair and ear piercings and whatever, that's not really popular. That's, I'm talking about 90s, but hey, whatever it is today. Uh, you know, goth, that's old. Um, whatever they show up, are you going to sit there and think, oh, I hope they get Jesus? I've met some on-fire, spirit-filled people who look very strange, to most other people, but they got the power of God working through them. 
We got to get over our little idols. We got to get over our flavor of ice cream and realize that we are messing the church up for what God intended to be. We're, we're keeping a hold of our religious things. We're keeping a hold of our idols when God's saying, listen, don't cause me to have to bring some Hebrew children in there and just tell you we ain't doing that and have a showdown between your religion and their relationship. I've had some, when I've had religion, that had relationship confront me and it wasn't comfortable. I'm thinking, who are you telling me? I'm a pastor's kid. I know God's word. I'm living for God. And what they're seeing is, man, you've got a dead faith. Where's your fruit? Where's your disciples? I've been asked that before. I remember being down on Dixon Street at Bikes, Blues, and Barbecue with a Christian motorcycle club, and I had the beard with the beads in the beard and, and you know, looking like I was tough and all that stuff and doing that, thinking I'm reaching all those guys. And I had someone come up to me on fire and just said, that's great. Where's your fruit? You guys are sitting here in the corner watching people. What are you doing? I thought, yes. Shut up, you're just confrontational. You're trying to divide people, you know. Go on, we're, we're working out here. Watching all these bikes going by, just thinking somebody, Jesus, just going to send somebody over and make them stand there and say, I need Jesus. We've got to give up our flavors. We've got to give up our flavors and realize that God's flavor, what he intended the church to be, if we experience that, our taste will change. Our taste will change because he says, all who are thirsty, come and drink. The living waters, you'll never be thirsty again. You know, how, how many know that this is the best weather coming up for ice cream? Because if you eat ice cream in July, you end up with sticky hands and half of it on the ground and on your clothes. But in the fall, the temperature is just getting right. It's still warm during the day enough to eat ice cream, but it stays on the cone, right? And you're able to eat that ice cream. And God has seasons for us that he says, if you will... Taste my ice cream. If you'll taste things while I do, I will take and show you the best of the best. See, Adam and Eve, at the very beginning, God was trying to say, if you just be patient, I've given you this whole garden. I've given you rule of the animals. You are really getting ready to populate this earth. This is going to be heaven on earth. It's like, but God, I, I don't like your flavors. I don't, I don't want all 31. I want the clown cone hanging on that tree. And it's a deal breaker for me. Because I just can't take your word for what it is. Satan says that I'll be like you if I do it my way. And guess what? When you're running from God at first before the judgment comes, you feel like you're a little bit of a God because you know, you, you think you can just do anything and get away with it. When you're really running hard and sin's rampant in your life and you get away with things for a while, you just feel like you're untouchable, like just like that age-old lie. So as we move forward in the coming weeks, this is what I want you to do. This is a little different sermon. There's not three points, and then this is what we need to do. There's one thing to do. Pray, because God is going to speak to us, not just for us individually, but for us, our church culture, and what we're meant to do here. Be praying. Thank you. Love you. God bless you. I'll see you Wednesday night for Wednesday night service.